The coolest thing about San Diego Comic-Con is that it's not just a meeting of your tribe that comes together, nerds and geeks and fans alike, but also you get a chance to see folks who are illustrators, creators, writers, actors, all around within genre from around the country. And that is no exception with this week's guest on Marvel's Voices, Jen Bartel. I was really excited, actually, to snag Jen Bartel, not only because she is a phenomenal illustrator, but she has done some really cool things in the last uh, couple of years, including design shoes, covers, book art, illustrations, start her own creator series, as well as a number of amazing covers and interiors for Marvel. One of the coolest things, though, is that the day before the interview, she won her very first Eisner Award. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Eisner, think of it kind of like the Oscar or Grammy for comic books. Illustrators, writers, across the board, teams that put together these amazing comics that we know and love every single year are awarded the top honor in their field through Eisner's. And not only did she win an Eisner, she won an Eisner on her first nomination. So needless to say, she was pretty psyched to sit down and talk about her amazing journey as an artist, as an illustrator, and now as a comic book creator with us on Marvel's Voices. Now, for those of you who are also new to Jen Bartel's work, she is currently doing the covers for the 80th anniversary Marvel Tales Anthology series, uh, which is coming out throughout the year, and it's incredible. And she did the variant cover for Black Cat number three, which is on the comic book shelves right now. I'm Angelique Roche. This is Marvel's Voices. And this is Jen Bartel's story. Eisner Award winning, <laughs> creator owned comics creator, <laughs> Jen Bartel. How does that feel, man? Like, you didn't even, you, you're like, I am going to do this fan art stuff and it's going to be real cool. And you get this call to do covers and then suddenly, dude, you literally have the Oscars of comics under your belt. It's so surreal. I was shocked to even be nominated for an Eisner this year Uh, and the people who were in my category were I mean I feel like every year that category is just it's always the best of the best and so it was just like even to be nominated was like unfathomable for me and uh, I went to the Eisners thinking like I'm gonna have a few drinks it's gonna be a fun night and I'm going to sit here and it's going to be just a, probably a, a bit of a snooze for like three hours, but I'll, <laughs> I'll get some free drinks and that'll be, you and know. And suddenly you heard your name. Yeah. And I had actually prepared nothing. I, yeah, I, I don't know if like they record the speeches or anything or if it's available online, but yeah, I had, I had prepared absolutely nothing because I could not even imagine a universe in which I would actually win it. And I was sitting, <laughs> I was sitting at one of the image tables directly across from Eric Stevenson, and I was like, I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> like I had this look of panic in my eyes. And it's funny because, like, you know, Tom King had won like 17 awards or something, and the first time he went up on stage was right before I did, and he went up there and he was like, looked like he was near tears, and he was like kind of shaking, and I was like, what's wrong with him? Like, why is he doing that? Is he okay? And then I went up there. 
and I was like, I get it now. <laughs> like I just kind of lost it. Uh, yeah, I just, I never expected it. And I'm still sort of like processing it. It's a, it's a huge honor. And I, yeah, I, I need like a week to I mean, the ink has, I literally the ink hasn't dried <laughs> yeah. on your name at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I remember we all kind of woke up and we sent each other the article. It was like, Jane Bartell's on it. Uh, <laughs> I did an interview her in two days. This is so dope. <laughs> And, and it's it's so cool to me because from all the interviews I've seen, even from your artwork, it's just you're just like, I really just love doing this, <laughs> and I get to do it. Yeah. So I do it. Yeah. I feel like for so so to back up a little bit, I went to school for illustration. I went to the School of Visual Arts, and I had chosen to major in illustration, even though they had a a really great cartooning program at the school uh, because I did not see myself in comics. I, I didn't see a path into it and I, you know, like I had always enjoyed comics and manga when I was growing up, but I didn't really feel like there was a community there uh, as much as there was in illustration. Like in within illustration, I saw tons of women and lots of women of color uh, doing work in children's books and editorial. And so I just figured, okay, that's where people like me have been able to make careers for themselves doing art. And so that's what I'll pursue. Um, and I think for, you know, four years during art school, I kind of like spun my wheels a lot. And it's, it's funny because I think if you were to ask any of the people that I went to school with, like who would be like the, the people from our graduating class who would be successful or who would have freelance careers, I don't think I would have made it onto anyone's list. Because uh, I was a pretty, like, at best, average, fairly mediocre student. Because I, I don't think I really, like, I don't know that my heart was really in it. And then I graduated, and I continued spinning my wheels for a lot of years. Because I was, I feel like for, God, almost, I mean, it would be like eight years, I was just trying to be something that I thought would get me hired. You were trying to be the thing that you thought everybody else wanted. Yeah. And so you did it. And it wasn't that you were bad at it. And I was I, fine. Look, man, <laughs> I, I totally get it. You know, what's crazy to me is that in finding the thing that you loved, you had one of the biggest years last year. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't... Who didn't you draw last year? <laughs> yeah. Um, so many covers, interiors. And, and I think for a lot of folks out there who love comic books, like... There's a specifically different art from illustration to covers to interiors yeah. and this idea of penciling and coloring. And, For sure. You know, what is that moment when you finally like do that first cover, that second cover, your third cover, and you realize, oh, crap, my heart, my heart is actually here. Yeah. Well, so basically what had happened is... Um, once I had finally given up <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not, you know, I've, I've been doing this thing that I felt was going to get me hired and it didn't get me hired for eight years really in any significant way. I guess I'm not going to have a freelance career. And I just kind of accepted that. And I, at the time went from working in like retail and service industry jobs into an actual like grown up day job. Uh, oh, doing <laughs> you tried to be an adult. Yeah, yeah. Adulting so. is hard. <laughs> so I did uh, like sort of an office day job. It was it was art related. I was doing product and packaging design, uh, which definitely feeds into my work now. But at the time, it felt very far removed from what I had gone to school for and what I had hoped to do. And only after I had like resigned myself to not having a freelance art career, did I sort of give myself permission to start making things that I liked. 
Um, Talk a little bit more when you say permission to do what you like. Yeah. So uh, I feel like it's it's weird, right? Because uh, most artists pursue a career in the arts because we love the arts because we love what we do but once we get hired to do it it feels wrong to indulge like there's this strange phenomenon where you feel like well this is work now like this is a job and I should treat it seriously and if I'm having fun then maybe that's not actually a job and maybe I shouldn't be allowing myself that like for me personally my my path from like making all this work that I thought I should be making and going into like making the work that was fun for me it was basically like I had to convince myself that it wasn't a job anymore you know and then it was like I was free to do whatever I wanted and I didn't have to answer to anyone and my goal wasn't to get hired anymore and so I was able to just indulge Um, and that's when I stopped like worrying about whether or not it would appeal to potential clients or not and I think like what had happened for me personally and what happens to a lot of people who allow themselves to do this is people start to pick up on like the authentic voice that's there and I think that when you're creating work that feels authentic and that shows that you are passionate about something people can't help but to be drawn to that so like for me the minute I kind of like allowed myself to start doing that the floodgates opened and people were just like oh what is this and suddenly the work that I was making became interesting to people because it felt authentic and like there was actually some sense of heart behind it you know Mm -hmm. so like talk to me because going from illustration and packaging to doing covers which is one type of art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then to interiors oh my god like talk to me like for you what does that process look like like what have you learned as an artist yeah um in kind of discovering that particularly since it was like you're like okay now i'm here yeah i gotta figure it out yeah it is i mean it is hard mode it is the ultimate like demanding you have to be able to do everything and you have to be able to draw everything and you have to be able to do it on a schedule and kind of on demand and it is you are still smiling right now like I I know the folks at home who are listening to the podcast can't see this but there is not a like there's not a scowl like there's not face hasn't tensed up she just said something like really important and like very demanding but you are still smiling like your face is still lighting up about these deadlines and it's great I mean it is like the most rewarding and and fun job in the world but yeah it is it is crazy demanding in ways that like coming from illustration I couldn't even imagine you know the things that I've been asked to draw now and the speed at which I've had to do it and so much of it for me too has been just like learning on the job you know with interiors it's like the what you were saying about the first issue being very different from the 50th is it's true even between like drawing the first issue of Blackbird and drawing the sixth issue of Blackbird. It yeah. was like I did it in like half the time because um, you just it's like boot camp. It just levels you up so much and it just is so demanding in ways that like other types of illustration work are not. You know, you've drawn some very complicated things. Uh, you've also drawn some amazingly beautiful detailed things. Talk to me about what was the most challenging and obviously most rewarding when it was done <laughs> thing you've ever drawn? Yeah. Uh, so when I had originally signed on to work on Blackbird, 
Um, I was fully expecting to only draw like beautiful characters and like backgroundless panels and like just a lot of talking heads because that's like and lots of colors. Yeah, that's who yeah, you yeah. are. Like yeah, yeah. basically, like this is creator own, right? I don't have to draw anything hard. Uh, and Sam, <laughs> <laughs> Sam Humphreys hit me with the first three pages of Blackbird opens up with like an earthquake scene where a bridge collapses and like a hundred cars rain down on yeah. the protagonist. And I'm like, cool. Cool, cool, cool. cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was definitely the probably the most challenging thing I've ever had to draw, just because it was like on deadline, and I I struggled with drawing one single car, and then I had to draw like a hundred of them. <laughs> so. So when you're looking at that for illustrators who are back home, who you know who are listening to this, because you're such a huge supporter of young illustrators and young comic book artists and cover artists, and it's it's really amazing, right? Like. I remember every time I have gone to a con and I have stopped by your artist table, you've not been there. And nine times out of ten, it's because you're doing something for someone or you're visiting someone's table or you're on a panel. And it's it's so really incredible, particularly for being a woman of color in this industry, understanding that, you know, other artists like you may not have the same kind of example. Like, talk to me about what you, like, how do you overcome those challenges? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there's, especially with women, I think there's this sort of like natural inclination to feel like uh, other women are competition or like there's this kind of uh, like scarcity thing with like the available opportunities. And, um, you know, like when I was first starting to get a little bit of work, I, I felt a little bit of that like just all around and not even like from specific people but I felt like the culture was that the spots were so limited that people were afraid to share you know and I just once I had hit a point where I realized like I could give back to people and I could like like I had made it slightly through the door you know and I maybe wasn't all the way through but I just uh, did not want to let it close behind me you know and I think like the person that I look to the most who I think really embodies like uh, sort of practicing what you preach is Kelly Sue, uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick, who, I mean, she is like the number one supporter of like all sorts of women in comics. And she, I mean, she started the Visible Women hashtag. And I just feel like she really embodies like giving back. And um, I just have such a deep admiration for her. So I like, I wanted to be able to do some of that myself the minute I had any, anything to give. <laughs> and you and honestly you have so much to give like I I love and you can when you look at an artist's work you can tell not just how they draw but how they see a character and it's so cool to see how you manage to find a way to make women in the pieces that you do and I don't want to say attractive, but like it's not attractive in a way where it's sexy or it's 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 overly sensationalized, but in a way where you're like, this girl is here. Yeah. She is bad. She feels good about what she's wearing. She feels yeah. good about what's going on with her hair. Talk to me about the thought process behind that. Uh, so it's sort of a two-part thing because it's it's different on covers than it is when it's you know in interiors because interiors is a lot more about character acting um, and just sort of like getting into the mindset of that character but when it comes to covers and like individual illustrations 
I think there's been a lot of conversation about the male gaze, you know, and and uh, like I sort of try to draw everything through the female gaze. Uh, I, I think it's much more about like there is this interview that Charlize Theron gave, uh, I think ahead of like Snow White and the Huntsman, where she was asked about like walking as the queen, and she she said this line about how like you just put your chest out and you think murder, and then you just walk. Uh, <laughs> and she does this like incredible, she like moves her shoulders back and she goes from being kind of this like normal everyday person to being like her character. And she's wearing the same thing and you know, obviously her hair is the same, her face is the same. She's not in costume, but all of a sudden she embodies this like different person. And uh, I think about that often. I think about like how much of it is in the eyes how much of it, like I think about Tyra Banks telling people to smize, <laughs> you know, because I think so much of it is like... Which is hard. Yeah. It is not easy. It's really hard. It takes hard. a lot of practice. Yes. Smizing <laughs> is an art. It is a skill. Truly. And I'm still working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just think a lot about uh, how to portray, like, inner confidence. But I think one thing that... Um, is commonly criticized in conversations around the male gaze is that like a lot of the time um, <laughs> historically within the medium when men have drawn female characters you can tell they're not really like placing themselves within that character they're not they don't have the same level of empathy for that character that they do for some of the male characters because they can't relate to them as much. Well, it's a different perspective, right? Yeah, and when I draw any female character, I'm thinking, like, how would that feel if I was wearing it? Like, you know, I jokingly at one point, I tweeted that, like, any man who's designing, like, a woman's costume should wear women's clothes for a day, at least. Just like try it. And I didn't even mean it sarcastically. I, I truly meant like there's a lot to be learned just from like trying on these garments and like shoes and trying to walk in them. And you will have like a certain level of empathy just from that experience that you can apply into your art. And I wish that more of them would do it. So as an artist, like fundamentally, what does it look like when Jen Bartel sits down and is like, all right, man, I got 10 covers to do. <laughs> Said yes to all this, and I already signed the paper, so I this guess I got to do the, this. I'm in this picture, and I don't like it. <laughs> um, are we blasting music? Is there sun outside? Do you, like, look at a schedule, and you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, so much of it is it really just boils down to, like, multitasking scheduling around your deadlines appropriately and and I have to say like a lot of it is extremely not glamorous it's a lot of like okay I don't really feel like working on this right now but this is the thing that I have to work on because it's the thing that's due the soonest um, and I think that's kind of the differentiator between someone who does this uh, you know as a hobby or maybe they're just starting out versus someone who really does it professionally is you kind of have to be able to perform on command and it's not always, you know, it's not always glamorous. Like sometimes you're like, I'm tired and I want to sleep, but this thing is due tomorrow. Um, and, you know, it, one thing that I've learned is uh, how to balance my time a little better and how to accurately predict uh, what, I'm, what I'm capable of. So when I was first starting out, I was saying yes to all sorts of stuff and then I was paying the price for it after the fact. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> are, are you saying that sometimes you can overcommit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk a lot about, like, unhealthy uh, work schedules and work-life balance within comics. And, 
you know, so much of that has to do with what we as creators are committing to. And so I, I feel like that's the that's been the hardest lesson to learn, but I'm finally at a place now where I feel like I know what my limits are and so I'm able to have a healthier schedule and I, I have a better work-life balance now. <laughs> well, which is pretty awesome, right? Because you did a substantial amount of covers for Marvel yeah. last year yeah. um, <laughs> and are still doing covers for Marvel. What has kind of been the, the, the peak right now? Like, I mean, there's going to be 10, 12, 15, 20 more peaks. Obviously, and Eisner, <laughs> I get that. Oh. We got that out of the way. It is a peak moment. But for you as an artist, outside the fact that you have um, the Grammy of comic books (laughs) at home, uh, what do you think has been like kind of just like that, whoa, moment for you? Yeah. I mean, it honestly, does this sound annoying? I feel like there's a new one like every week, every month. There's like a new thing that I'm just like, what now? what's happening. How did I get here? Yeah, there's some, I've had some unbelievably cool opportunities, uh, you know, over the last year and a half, two years, um, especially like within this most recent stretch. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of times where I'm just like, is this really happening? Uh, But I do think like, so the, the piece that I think sort of started at all is like back in 2016, um, I had done a, a fan art piece of my favorite character, uh, Storm, in her, like, punk getup. And I had done, it was, like, purely, we talked about indulgence earlier, right? Oh. And it was just, like, pure indulgence. I just did it for fun. And I think that was the piece that kind of made it in front of some editors eventually. I don't know if it happened right away. It but is one of my favorite pieces. Thank you. Uh, we have already talked about that. <laughs> We've talked about it on the Marvel live stream about how I, yes. It's great, and I'm Thank glad you. it made it into the world and made it in front of editors. Yeah, I actually think, uh, credit where credit is due, I think it was Kelly Thompson who actually saw it online and started putting it in front of editors. Like, she didn't even tell me. She just was like, hey, we should get this girl on a cover. Uh, and so I, I have Kelly to thank for a lot, too. Um, but, yeah, that was that was the first piece. And since then, I've drawn her a couple more times. I, I try to do a new, like, storm print every year just because she's my favorite. Um, but this year, most recently, I got to draw her professionally for the first time. And so that, that felt like a really big milestone because uh, it was, you know, I was asked to do a variant cover for uh, Marvel number 1000, like, big event that's going on. and No big deal. Uh, no big deal. <laughs> and I was like... Will you let me draw Storm? Wait, is that exactly how you said it? You were just in a meeting. You were like, but can I draw Aurora Monroe, please? Thank yeah. you. I pretty much was like, will you let me do this? And they were like, eh, okay, okay, let's see what you have. And I had like one concept. I, I normally am one of those artists that sends in, you know, three to four thumbnails. And I, I like to give people some options. But on this one, I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, and they were thankfully okay with it. So it was like a really smooth process. And I think one thing, uh, you know, of all of the clients that I've worked with, Marvel is really, really great about when they hire artists, uh, they generally don't impede on, like they, they give artists enough breathing room that we are kind of able to do what it is that we do and what it is that we are hired for and I have worked on projects where where I I was hired for one thing and then by the end of the project it's as if someone else has done the work because it's gone through so many iterations and like you know reviews and adjustments 
uh, that it doesn't even feel like my own work. And everything that I've ever done for Marvel, they've been really supportive of me kind of taking the reins and, and doing what I want to do. And I, I feel like they're very good about like letting their artists have like a sense of individualism and, and really lean into what it is that they're passionate about. And I think that that allows us to make our best work, you know? So it was cool getting to work on that because they pretty much just like stepped back and let me do what it is that I wanted to do. And yeah, I, it's one of the covers that I'm the happiest with this year. <laughs> so excited. So I kind of have a quick fire round yeah. every single time I do an interview with folks. It's easy, but it's not. Uh, like people who are, are illustrators and colorists uh, are a little bit different than the writers. The writers are generally more verbose. Let's see if I'm right about this. So, what is your superpower? Probably multitasking. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, I'm working on like 17 things at the same time and having two dogs who are very needy. <laughs> what would be your superpower if you could have one? Stopping time so I don't have to be so good at multitasking. <laughs> I see these going hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, I want like Hermione's like time stopper necklace. You're like, <laughs> I, I thought I just saw Jen, but yeah. she's gone. I need that. <laughs> um, what is on your playlist right now? Honestly, I've been listening to like pretty much all podcasts. Um, a lot of them have been like a little on the darker side. <laughs> But I just listened to this insane podcast. It's from, I think it's from Wondery. Uh, it's called Dr. Death. And it is like a crazy, crazy story about this guy who like basically convinces everyone that he's able to be a neurosurgeon, but he's completely not. And he's like allowed to, it's a real thing that happened. So if you want to be super disturbed about uh, what people can get away with in the healthcare system, listen to that podcast. Otherwise, I do not recommend it because it's very disturbing. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. <laughs> that got dark real fast. Um, who's your favorite superhero? I mean, we talked about this. Storm. But Storm, yes. All right, you're right. <laughs> I also has... really like Jubilee, though. Oh, I yeah. love Jubilee. I love her. Yeah. All she wanted to do was go to the mall. Yep. <laughs> um, last but not least, what does storytelling mean to you? Oh, God. I think uh, for me, it's having grown up without stories that really sort of feature people like me or people who look like me. Even, I mean, even in a lot of anime growing up, it was still like lots of blonde haired, blue eyed, like pretty girls that didn't always like look exactly like I did. Um, I think storytelling is a way to open up the option for people to to learn about others who aren't like them to make them more empathetic people to to i don't know open up new worlds to people i guess it's kind of cheesy to say it that way no, i love it but, i actually yeah. have like one more question yeah. i generally don't do this but we can edit it later do you feel like there is a specific technique that you utilize as an illustrator to tell stories with that ideal in mind yeah I think for me um, you know I've always I've called myself an illustrator but I think what I really am is I'm more of a designer who happens to be able to draw 
because um, so much of what I do is like, it's really more about design. And I think um, the number one thing that's been my focus uh, throughout my career is making sure that when I am making any kind of representational art, that I'm being as accurate as possible and that I'm really paying attention to like, different features and textures and, and just making sure to get it as close to reality as possible. Because I feel like it's 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 not something that I always had and I just want to be able to, to give that to people, you know? Are there like certain things that you specifically do to get those textures? Like do you go and do photography? Like are you yeah. always on the internet like collecting pictures? Like what is kind of your process yeah. on reference for stuff like that? Yeah, so generally I don't, uh, you know, unless it's something that I've drawn tons and tons of times before and I feel really comfortable with it, I always have reference images. And I mean, for like one thing, I'll gather like 50 images just to be able to like get a, a big range and be able to pull from all of them. So yeah, I'll, I'll usually just gather them and uh, I have a big reference folder that I keep, lots of subfolders, and I can go in for whatever it is that I'm looking for. That's really awesome because I think some people forget like all these things are not necessarily inside the artist's yeah. mind. Yeah, and there's so much stuff in comics that we do have to make up. You know, like, I, I had to draw Asgard, and I was like, I don't know, there's no reference for this other than what other people have already drawn, and, you know, there's a certain amount of artistic liberty that you can take with it. But if you're drawing something that is based in reality, like, you can choose to stylize things later, but being able to pull from a real thing only helps with that suspension of disbelief, I think. So I always try to pull as much reference as I can. Oh, man, that was crazy. Um, not the interview, mainly just San Diego Comic-Con surrounding the interview. Thank you so much, Jen, for taking the time to sit down with me. For those of you who want to know more about Jen, make sure you're checking her out on the Internet. She is amazingly active on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, as well as she's got so many cool projects coming out this year. And you know what? I just I salute you, Jen Bartel, and congratulations again for your Eisner. Oh, and if you want to find out more about Marvel and all the cool things happening in the Marvel Universe, make sure you're checking out Marvel Live presented by Toyota Supra GR. It is going to be next week on Tuesday, 4 p.m. and all the rest of the Tuesdays in August. That's it for this week. See you next time.